Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we are back, and let's go right to the phones. And joining us, he's probably he's probably got a swimsuit on. He's standing out in the sun, dark glasses, getting a few rays. Nate Zelinsky, good morning. Morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great. And you are up at Grand Lake, so I doubt you're up out there in a swimsuit. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Terry. We started off a little cold. We were negative 10 this morning, but uh, like I think like any ice fisherman can relate, the sun is now out. It's probably only 20 degrees, but with the bright sun and no wind, it feels like it's 50 degrees out. So uh, three hours ago, it was brutal cold. Right now, it is beautiful out. You've had some cold weather in your tournaments this year, my friend. It's crazy, Terry. We, this is our fifth of or, uh, our fourth of it in a row, starting the event at negative temperature. So we've been negative twelve, uh, negative eight, negative eleven, and negative ten. So uh, very, very cold season on the ice. But uh, I tell you, these anglers are diehards. We got fire pits set up. Uh, everybody's in great spirits. And we're having a ton of fun. So are fish being caught, and what are the ice conditions for somebody who wants to come up and fish it later? Yeah, Terry, I'm actually pretty excited to talk about the conditions because we had so many rumors and talking about um, the slush at Grand Lake. So not speaking about Granby, not speaking about Shadow, but at Grand Lake itself, we're out at Gene Silver Park right behind town, um, and we're sitting on 24 inches of ice, and we literally have four to five inches of snow on the ice and zero slush. So Grand Lake is in better shape ice-wise and surface condition-wise than I've ever seen in any of our years up here. So Grand Lake is great. So I keep telling people, if you've ever wanted to fish Grand Lake, come up this year simply for the fact that the surface conditions are so good. Um, I've heard that there's still quite a bit of slush and rougher conditions at Shadow um, and Granby. But as far as uh, Grand Lake is concerned, the, the ice is thick, the surface conditions are great, and anglers are catching fish. So what kind of results are you getting? you have any, any updates for us? Yeah, so so far here, you know, our, our course is set up to fish shallow and deep water. Um, so far, we've had one kokanee salmon, and everything else has been lake trout. So no rainbows or browns yet. Lots of lakers. Currently, the leader is at 3.2 pounds, um, so a really nice fish. Um, we're actually holding a really strong average of those fish in that two-pound range. Um, so a lot of quality lake trout so far. Uh, but that leader is 3.2 pounds. Uh, it seems like the hot depth so far is right around that 80 foot. Um, we've seen quite a few anglers catching some fish in about 60 foot, but it seems like that 80 to 90 is, is that window right now where anglers are doing best for those lake trout. Uh, this lake has a, a huge population of micey shrimp, so a lot of shrimp near the bottom. So these anglers that are targeting their, their presentation literally inches off bottom are, are doing best right now. Yeah, you and I talked pretty extensively about a few ways to do that last week. Um, and people, uh, it, it's a great time to really sharpen your skills for a, a deep presentation and learning. We talked about bobbers. We talked about drop shots. We talked about the different weights of the jigs and the types of line to use. And people could go back and listen to that podcast. In fact, it's on my social media, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I posted it. They can go listen to it. But it also, fishing those kind of conditions, Nate, also 
makes you a better summer angler. <laughs> I agree 100%. This type of thing will teach you about the slightest bite, uh, micro presentations, line management, um, everything that, that you can struggle with, these conditions will, will hone you in for. You know, and, and with that, I think you know, everybody hears lake trout, and they, they instantly just want to do the traditional bigger tube jigs. When you have the micey shrimp as the main forage base, you know, their food source is a quarter inch, half inch, um, you know, or, and smaller. So you're dealing with a micro food source, and all those fish are that, you know, four, five pounds and smaller, um, that's what they're eating. They haven't got to the size yet um, to really start going into shallow water targeting rainbows or targeting those salmon. So those lakers that are that, you know, like you're seeing today, you know, 18 to 24 inches, um, that size laker is still 100% on, on that, that shrimp as that food source. And it's a micro food source. So, you know, if you want to have success, you know, using those small half-inch presentations is a is a major key in your success today. And obviously, managing a quarter-inch or half-inch bait, small weight, and 60, 80 foot of water can be a challenge. But but that's the technique that is doing best by far. And anglers are showing it. Those really small micro presentations are doing really well. I got to tell you a quick lake trout story on Grand Lake. When Karen and I were up there filming a television show, and um, we didn't have a camera boat that day, so she was filming in the boat. And we didn't have any shots. We, well, I always like to have a shot of me fishing from outside the boat. It kind of sets the scene, if you know what I mean. And so we, we said, let's just pull up by the docks by the town of Granby. I'll let you, we'll put the camera out on the dock. I'll just pull away from the dock a few feet. I'll just lower a line down, and we'll just look like we're fishing. It's not going to be a shot where we catch anything or anything. We're just going to so we have a shot of what it looks like, how we're standing in the boat and stuff. So we pulled up, dropped Karen off at the dock. But she gets set up. I back the boat off about 10 feet, lower the line, and I catch two lake trout in about five minutes. <laughs> not even trying to fish. And so all these people had gathered around watching us film, and they thought, wow, he's really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's right where our course is sitting. And, uh, it's such a neat, neat, neat opportunity right there. And there's fish sitting on that wall. Those walls are, are important. Uh, there's fishers pushing that shrimp right up against that wall, right where you did that show. Yeah. Hey, before we move on to some other topics, if people want to get updates on how the tournament's going, how do they do that? You know, you can follow around the live leaderboards. We're using the Fishing Chaos app this year for all our ticket sales and that. So you can jump on Fishing Chaos, go to Ice Addiction. Um, you can go to Leaderboard, and you'll see the Grand Lake Leaderboard, and you can just follow along. Literally, when the scale locks these fish, it updates the live leaderboard. So it's not a, a, a few-second delay um, when the fish gets hit, the scale gets locked in, and you see it on that live leaderboard. So we're excited about that. Also, a huge shout-out to our partners, A&A Topper, Tulo locations, uh, you know, West Colfax, South Broadway, uh, Darren's up here today at the event. They're the title partner of the event. Um, you know, they've heard the name on the show for 20 years with you, uh, but you just can't say enough about those folks. Darren's up here drooling watching these fish get caught. He's a hardcore outdoorsman himself. Uh, but yeah, huge shout out to a a Topper for obviously truck toppers, tonneau covers, but really all of your accessory needs from seat covers, floor mats, Everything that they have, uh, it's exciting to see uh, A&A participate. This has been up here as the title partner, uh, making it happen for everybody. And I will make one more comment. When you watch the leaderboard, don't think that that's all the fish being caught because once people see some weights there, they don't bring every fish up to measure, right? 
that is exactly it. We see a lot. It's pretty crazy just the evolution of this series. Um, I probably saw over 100 anglers today that brought their own scale. So, you know, when it's a lake trout game, you can only weigh your legal limit of each species. So they're literally looking at the leaderboard. They know they can only weigh a handful of fish. So they're catching them, weighing them, seeing where they're going to be on the board, and then choosing to, you know, take it to the scale or release it. We're seeing a lot of anglers do that. So, yeah, a lot more fish are getting caught than what you're going to see uh, just from anglers kind of playing the game and and making good decisions on, on what they want to weigh in. All right. Now, Nate, the end of last hour, I talked about how we're getting into a transition period of the year. Um, we're going to see the snow come and melt, and it uh, seeps into the water, uh, gets under the ice. You've got to be very careful in the front range. Conditions can change almost daily, but it can be some of the best fishing is that oxygenated water seeps in under the ice, and you get the bug activity and the bait activity. And also we're getting to the spawning season for a couple major fish in Colorado, and I think that's probably what you want to talk about with walleyes. That is, Terry. You know, we have our pike almost getting ready to go into full full pre-spawn mode. So not spawn mode, but pre-spawn mode. So into this month is when we really start targeting pike through the ice as they get into the early phases of their pre-spawn. We are already seeing some fish migrating shallower at 11 mile and in tarot, uh in preparations for that spring spawn, more so at 11 mile on those natural fish versus the stocked fish at Antero. Uh, so we're seeing rainbows going into a pre-spawn pike, preparing for that pre-spawn. But more importantly, what's in full pre-spawn um, are the walleyes right now. So just in the last couple days, um, we're seeing our walleye start moving into a pre-spawn bite. And if you follow walleye or if you follow the front-range ice, um, everybody kind of knows that, generally speaking, um, our ice on the front-range kind of falls apart like this week. Um, you know, it's only been a handful of times in my 23-year career um, where I've ever iced fish Chatfield in March. Um, it's just not something that happens. But right now, we have great ice. We have a cold forecast ahead. Um, again, as we start to get snow melt, simply for the longer days of the sun, obviously an influx of water into these bodies of water will change those ice conditions. So you really have to be cautious daily checking it. Um, but regardless, that are out there right now, just in the last couple of days, we're seeing a migration of those walleyes from deeper water into shallower water. We're also seeing a huge increase on their daily activity. Um, just as these fish prepare to kind of go into a pre-spawn bite, they're getting very active. The males are getting aggressive. Um, everything is happening. So we're seeing more fish, more aggressive fish, and bigger fish. Um, so a lot of stuff happening there. I apologize. Uh, the Flight for Life comes in to, to do some landing and flyovers of the course. So we got the Flight for Life overs right now. It's a little noisy. But uh, either way, yeah, the, the pre-spawn bite for walleyes is taking place. We saw these fish coming out of some of that deeper water, as I mentioned. So we were catching walleyes in. 16, 18, 20 feet of water over the last week or two, um, and we're now starting to see them come into what we call that pre-spawn bite. They're as shallow as 6 to 8 feet of water right now, so drastically shallow than they have been, and it's kind of a migration as they move up into that shallow water, but again, the fish are aggressive. And I think uh, first ice and uh, late ice are always two of the best bites of the year, and they're bites that for a number of reasons you mentioned, the spawn, the water warming, the inflow, the bait activity, they tend to start, that people tend to fish too deep a lot of the time, early and late, because their mindset is, I'm gonna catch a walleye or a trout in 20 feet, like you said, but boy, a lot of times you just have to be in shallow, and a lot of times you can't find those fish on electronics either, you just have to fish for them, Nate. 
I agree 100%. They're so shallow that either they'll see your transducer, hear the transducer, or your cone in three, four, five, six, seven feet of water is so narrow, the fish won't thin under it enough to really get that mark. You know, so when we're talking pre-spawn walleye, my major focus is 8 to 12 feet, if not 6 to 12 feet, and that's that walleye pre-spawn. My pike pre-spawn is inches of water up to maybe six feet and then those big rainbows that we're starting to see getting ready for that spring spawn uh we're targeting those fish in like four to five feet of water so all of our pre-spawn and kind of you know upcoming spawn fish are all in very shallow water take us through maybe a couple of the presentations for the walleye the trout and the pike just give us a a, you know kind of a quick update on the presentations I mean, I, I, let's start off with the walleye just because, you know, people keep saying, like you always ask, you know, where would you go this weekend? What would you suggest now? With the walleye being a situation that we rarely have ice to fish um, this time of year, you have to take advantage of it. So I think targeting those walleyes in a pre-spawn bite is almost a must simply because you never know when we're going to get ice good enough on the front range to fish this late in the season for them. So, uh, you know, huge encouragement on people that are, are doing that walleye bite right now. Just huge caution. But with those we're moving into that heavy reaction bite. They're angry, they're aggressive, so you can use a bigger presentation, a more aggressive presentation. So, you know, we'll still continue to use the spoons that we've been using, but we're going to start to see a, a big flip over and a big change to, like, blade bait and working glide bait very aggressively. If we're using a spoon, instead of a more weighted spoon, we're going to do more of a flash spoon. Um, you know, so something that really moves, really throws vibration. It, it is all about uh, that more aggressive technique. But if I could only pick one thing, I'd say going forth in the next, you know, week to 10 days of walleye fishing, I'm going to put a major focus on blade baits more than anything. Those blade baits will draw fish in. They'll take advantage of kind of that grumpier attitude that those walleyes have right now um and that that's probably the hottest technique so blade baits slightly stiffer line uh, aggressive tactic that's gonna how you're gonna catch those walleyes right now and then the pike uh pre-spawn totally opposite not aggressive at all we're using dead sucker so fresh sucker that is you know recently recently been harvested um you know fishing that dead sucker under a tip-up um shallow water awesome technique and the rainbows it's more a color thing than anything so for the rainbows we're running small tube jigs, small plastic, tungsten jigs, but it's all about that color. When you start getting into that pre-spawn, these fish love eating eggs. So for that pre-spawn, it is all about kind of an orange or a pink presentation. So all my jigs, all my tactics are orange or pink in that shallow water, uh, and that's how we're catching all those fish. All right, and uh, has that been kind of – you're seeing that down in the lower elevations. What about – just before I let you go in the mountain lakes, are you seeing similar reactions? We are 100%. You know, like even at 11 mile, we're starting to see some of those bigger fish starting to move into that kind of pre-spawn. They're starting to show up in the shallow water at Witcher's Cove. They're just starting to show up in the shallow water um, on the north shore around those rocks. And then, obviously, Cross Creek, we're starting to see some shallower fish. So, um, again, by no means unfair, we in spawn mode, we're definitely starting to see that spawning activity and that pre-spawn activity from those rainbows um, in all those shallow portions, especially at 11 Mile more so than anywhere else. And last quick question, have you seen any kokanee at 11 Mile? Sorry, what was that? Kokanee at 11 Mile. Kokanee bite is strong. Um, you know, last year we had an epic year. Best has been in probably the last 10. We started off a little slow. January was decent, but I wouldn't say January was hot. 
Um, we are now getting limits every time we're on the water at 11 miles. So those company schools move, but I would kind of make my central hub out of the North Shore. So the North Shore at 11 Mile, I would kind of start from there. You kind of veer, uh, you know, to the east towards Coyote Ridge, uh, out towards the island, but section right there uh, is doing very well. So, you know, the Coconut School is actually coming through about 15 to 30 feet down. You're sitting in 60 to 80 feet of water, but that bite is going strong for sure. All right, my friend. I'll let you get back to your tournament. Have a good rest of the weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, Nate Zielinski, out of Grand Lake. So the ice conditions at Grand Lake are phenomenal, and they are catching a ton of lake trout over uh, just off of the town of Grand Lake. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Austin Parr is going to join us, and we're going to talk more fishing and transitions here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. song actually written by Jackson Brown though. You're, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. Let's go to the uh, the phones and joining us is Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. You know, it's an interesting time of the year because we really don't know what the next few weeks are going to bring. Got some really warm weather right now. Could degrade the ice a little bit. Got some cold weather. It could firm it back up. We've got a little bit of water from the melting snow on the lower elevations running underneath. We've got thick, deep ice on some of the mountain lakes. We might need an extension on your auger. It's just a, it's a, it's a, an interesting, if to say the least, strange time of the year sometimes for anglers. It definitely is, and especially this winter where we've had such cold conditions and built such a strong ice pack on the front range. We're certainly a ways away from any kind of open water fishing outside of the river, but there's still opportunities to be had, and folks are still taking advantage of it on the front range here while we still have some of this ice. Now, Nate talked a little bit about the walleyes at Chatfield. He said he's starting to see a pre-spawn migration. Are you seeing that, or, or what else? What other species are you seeing up and down the front range? Yeah, I'm definitely have been seeing that pre-spawn migration, and and we're also seeing some some softening of the edges of the ice out there as well. Um, you know, there was a couple guys that fell through um, in the Kingfisher area, which is certainly a, a common occurrence as you're starting to have degrading ice conditions with those springs that are down in there. So it's really important to, to be cautious about that. But uh, there's a lot of folks that are starting to find more and more walleyes on that northern side and a little bit less um, along the roadbed areas. And then there has still been some good fishing on that southern end as well, working the edges of those drop-offs as some of those fish will prepare to move up the river. And Chatfield is just unique for the fact that there is a significant push up the river as well as a significant push onto the rock faces. So fish will typically go both ways, but the bite has still been strong, uh, utilizing buckshot rattle spoons and number three and number five jigging wraps, tip of the minnow head. And with the lack of shad out there, the, the bite on the live minnows themselves has also been worthwhile. So having that little slip bobber sit next to you has been good in the low light conditions. But as I mentioned, particularly as we're starting to get warmer and warmer here, uh, utilizing additional caution, and, and uh, we've been so lucky with having such a strong ice fishing season where we haven't had to worry about thickness much, but we'll start to definitely need to, to look for those springs and, and make sure you're, you're monitoring uh, how you're traveling across the ice. 
One, as I talked about earlier in the show, we're getting some water starting to, as it melts, flow under the lower elevation lakes. And that not only affects fish spawning like rainbows and walleyes, but it also affects the bug life. It gets oxygen back in the water. You get the bait come alive with that bug life. Are you seeing the trout and panfish fishermen going a little shallower too? Definitely. I mean, the, the working up into those shallower edges and as shallow as six feet of water has been productive out at Chatfield and, and Aurora as well. It's been one of the, the best bites on Aurora. The walleye have been a little bit slower out there, as have the perch. Um, and then the panfish have been still a little bit sporadic out at Chatfield. Uh, some folks really find those big schools, but then there's a lot of times when they're challenging to find as well with some of their nomadic natures. So um, definitely uh, that's a tough one to, to specifically target at Chatfield, but definitely trout fishing opportunities as well as, uh, you know, obviously the walleyes and bass. And I would think that there's going to be pretty good opportunities through the ice up and down the front range as long as the ice is stable. And, boy, you really hit it on the head earlier about if there's any time you need a spud bar because you need to be not checking for just the thickness of the ice, but the quality of the ice right now is so important. Definitely. I mean, you can have 10 inches of honeycombed ice that's unsafe coming up here. Um, and it's still, like I said, still reasonable as we speak but the edges are going to start getting soft and, and definitely lakes like Chatfield that have a history of having the springs, uh, you have to be cautious with that to say the very least. Any mountain bites you're hearing about that are pretty good? As Nate was mentioning, that 11-mile bite has been really worthwhile with some of those bigger fish moving up shallower. But Terriol has been also producing quite well. The ice is definitely thick up there. Uh, not, no need for an extension at this particular point. But a lot of good numbers of fish, not a, t a crazy amount of size, but guys are utilizing uh, things like uh, diamond collar jigs as well as trout trap stingers on a jigging rod and then having a rat finky tipped with a, a mealworm or a waxworm on a secondary dead stick rod next to them. And, man, that bite really has been pretty productive. Uh, there's been a lot of good numbers, but you're not finding a ton of size up there. Uh, but the nice thing about 11 Mile and Terriol both is that the slush conditions can be a little bit less than you'll find in the Middle Park Valleys. Uh, but then as you move up into North Park, the bite's been a little bit slower, but there's been some really high-quality size, which is very usual for that valley. And both the Delaney Buttes as well as Lake John have been producing really worthwhile fish. And, and with some of the, the sticklebacks up in Lake John, uh, the little small bait fish, gulp minnows that are larger than you would normally use on the front range, or in other trout fishing bodies of water will be best. And uh, usually I'm, I'm thinking the two and a half to three inch is what I have the best success up there with. You know, I have success with that same size at um, the Red Feathers Lakes, believe it or not, where the fish aren't necessarily big, but there must be a pretty good minnow population in those lakes because a two and a half inch gulp minnow can be one of the best presentations there, especially early ice. Totally agree. And there's another one that... Uh, Berkeley utilize or Berkeley makes it's not quite as uh, mainstream, I suppose you could say, but it's called a power bait realistics minnow in a fire tiger color. It's a straight two inch on a one sixteenth ounce pre rig jig head, and that's been one of my favorites over the years for that same type of presentation. It gives you kind of a holographic uh, metallic look, whereas those gulp minnows don't quite have the ability to have that same color set as the power bait plastics do. Uh, so that's another good one to look at when you're trying to target fish that are eating uh, a lot of bait fish. I've uh, used that particular presentation for panfish in the summer, too. It is a great, just has a real realistic look to it. It does look good. 
What about the rivers now? You know, we talked earlier in the show about fly fishing, and we covered a few of them. But whether you're fly fishing or conventional fishing, as long as you stay within the regulations, this warming weather, we're going to get cold days, should open up more stretches of good river fishing. I completely agree. And and we'll have our standard tailwaters open, but we'll also have a few freestones that will open up. But as far as the tailwaters are concerned, Pueblo, uh, below Pueblo Reservoir, as we've mentioned before, is one of my favorites this time of year. It is a front-range fishery, but with the consistent flow coming out of the reservoir and good management from Parks and Wildlife, it has turned into one of the more high-quality tailwaters in the state. Uh, There's a lot of good numbers of fish in there, but also mixed in with some nice size. So it's uh, a good spot to go and and catch a lot of fish, and a lot of your fish will be in that 12 to 14-inch range, but you have the ability to have the larger fish mix in as well. And a lot of times when I'm fly fishing, the small red midge larvae are a very good choice. But as we're moving deeper into February here, and particularly with the warmer water down there, egg patterns as the fish will spawn are definitely a good choice. And if I'm fishing a spinning rod, a marabou jig, and some of the deeper holes, as well as a small suspending or lightly sinking jerk bait, both are good choices. Yeah, I just got a note somebody must have put on the text line, Karen handed to me, that there's 11 inches of solid ice at Lawn Hagler yesterday. And, you know, we're going to see that. A lot of those mid-sized lakes like Lawn Hagler, um, Douglas, some of those are going to have some pretty good ice for a while. The shores can get soft, but if you can get out safely, you can do pretty well on those. And they'll kind of turn on as we get towards spring. Totally agree. And with that solid ice uh, build that we got earlier in the season, it should really last for a little while here. But just like I said, be cautious on the edges and be cautious around, obviously, any moving water or springs. And the last thing, let's take a minute because we're running out of time, and that's the fact that it is the time of the year when people, some people are done ice fishing, some people want to push it to the limit, other people are chawing at the bit to get in the open water. We've got the rivers. We're probably away from any lake open water except in rare instances for a while. But what a great time to get your tackle ready. It really is. I mean, we're going to have still a couple of weeks, obviously, before any kind of boating or open water, but inventorying your jerk baits for the springtime, getting new line on your rods, and, and just figuring out uh, any of the other options that you need for the summer is definitely a good time to do it right now rather than when you're out there on the water figuring out that you don't have the, your best color of jerk bait that you need to catch some of those early spring walleyes. Or if you're like me and you keep saying you're going to get the new line on and you go make one quick trip and you're out there with every rod tangled into a bird's nest. so <laughs> Not a fun time. No. All right, my friend, if people want more information, how do they find you? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. We'll talk to you again soon, in Austin. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry. You bet. Austin Parr. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to change things up, and JR is going to join us from Colorado Clays. Now, he may want to talk some ice fishing during the thing because he's become an avid enthusiast. He's gone nuts over ice fishing. But he also wants to talk some getting ready for turkey hunting right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Clays is J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. Good morning, Terry. And how are you this fine? Well, I'd like to say sunny. It's fairly warm, but it's not sunny here. Is it sunny out at 
Colorado Clays? No, nah, Terry, it's a little bit overcast, but that is not stopping anyone from coming out and enjoying some shooting this weekend. So, uh, yeah, still a good time. You know, a lot of times when it's overcast like that, a guy with poor eyesight like me can pick up those clays against the clouds a little easier. Yeah, well, like say, and and you got another excuse to add to your arsenal. <laughs> oh, I've got plenty of those. I don't need more. Oh, I've heard so. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> Couple things I want to talk to you about. First one is turkey hunting is sneaking up on us. It is right around the corner. I mean, it's a few weeks, but boy, if you're looking to get out there and you haven't picked your ammunition and pattern your gun with that ammunition i don't know how many times we can say it but we better say it again it's really important isn't it well terry and you're right turkey season really is just right around the corner so now is the time to start preparing for your hunt and this is particularly true if you are let's say a first-time turkey hunter or maybe you got a new gun you're using a new choke or different ammo uh, or maybe you just haven't shot or tested your gun for function, for lubrication, like I said, point of aim, point of impact, or just plain no-look familiarity since the last year of the last season. And, Terry, a large part of the hunters are going to fall into this category. And it doesn't matter what season we're talking about, whether it's the big game, small game, waterfowl, turkey, or whatever. Every year I have people show up after a missed opportunity to do what they should have done before season. And it's always the same. Turkey's not a really hard target to hit, but they're real easy to miss if you don't do your preparations. And, Terry, that's where Colorado Clays really comes into play. Uh, We are a year-round facility, so, yes, we're here right now. Uh, We're public access, and uh, we have all the tools you need to go into the field prepared and confident in yourself and your gear. So now's the time. Well, you know, and we talk a lot about the patterning board year-round and making sure you know where you're shot, where your pattern is hitting, what the density is at different uh, distances, what the size of the pattern with different ammunition, because it can vary so much. But nowhere is patterning more important than turkey hunting. Yeah, Terry, and it's probably the number one tool and the most important tool we have available to the turkey hunter. And uh, in our shotgun pattern area, the first thing you're going to do is just confirm the function of your firearm and the accessories you have to go with it. Uh, sometimes the guns have been sitting. Sometimes people have cleaned them, and they're not going to work after a cleaning. You want to confirm that. Um, and, of course, number one, point of aim, point of impact. And this is really important on people with new guns. Don't just assume uh, they're going to uh, hit where you're aiming or pointing, a lot of people are going to be adding or changing sights and accessories on their gun for turkey hunting. So slings, uh, ammo holders, recoil pads, and clothing can really change the fit of a gun and thus, of course, your point of aim and port of impact. Another one to consider a lot of folks like, oh, got to have that fluorescent sight. Well, when you start clipping sights on a barrel, you're automatically, uh, if it's taller than the factory sight or what you're used to, dropping your point of impact, and vice versa, depending on what you've chosen. Um, As you said, Terry, the chokes, um, uh, extremely uh, important part of your combination. Most people, of course, are going to use the tightest choke that performs with the either chosen or available ammo. 
Um, the most popular, of course, being a turpy, turkey tube. The best bet, an extended tube, because they have pattern better than the barrel length ones. And then, of course, as we've always said, Terry, the turkey specific aftermarket tubes produce the tightest patterns with any given ammo, and even better. Um, with that turkey-specific ammo and going right on into the ammo. Of course, a lot of that is personal choice or what's available, but you do need to test that to confirm your maximum effective range. And um, that changes with the ammo. The best results, as we've said over the years, is from turkey-specific ammo for several reasons that have been obviously researched by the ammo manufacturers. And really, the best pattern results are from a slower muzzle velocity. And uh, just as a matter of fact, it's generally accepted that putting more pellets on target delivers more energy than putting fewer high velocity pellets on your hard excuse me high velocity pellets on your target so all considerations all things we need to be working on now not later right and you've done we've been talking about this for years and you've done so much research and compiled so much information um we'll talk about it off and on over the next few weeks but it's it's hard to relate some of the things that really impact uh, how you shoot for turkey. You mentioned, you know, the chokes, the ammos, but the combinations, you really need to get the total combination you're going to shoot and see how that impacts. And then you brought up one thing that I thought about quite a bit after, and that's how a lot of people shoot a turkey from a sitting position. And lowering yourself down really changed the point of impact, even if you were aiming the same. Yeah, it has, and, and we've proven that over the years, Terry, that shooting position can have a drastic effect on your point of uh, impact and thus, you know, your point of aim. So practicing uh, making adjustments for that and understanding what you might run into the field can be so important because I have had several people that missed an opportunity, came out, and uh, went down, and people tend to shoot higher um from that sitting position because they are crouching their head and they're not down into their gun as they would be from a standing position. And uh, little things like that that you can confirm and correct ahead of time can be all the difference between uh, a missed opportunity and oftentimes anymore that one opportunity may be all you get. Well, and if you think about it, and you think about this with rifles, pistols, shotguns, the lower you are, the more likely you are to elevate the front of the barrel on your firearm or at least have it level. And so it starts out either level or starting up. When you're standing or you're up above something on a hill, you lower the front end of that barrel, which causes you already pushing your your, your load, your bullet, your, your pellets in a downward trajectory so they end up falling faster because they've started downward. And, and, you know, you can't calculate every one of those, but you need to at least be familiar with the most common situations you might shoot from. Yeah, and we can represent those here at Colorado Clays, Terry, and I always encourage all of our people coming out and preparing for their seasons to practice a shot in any possible contorted position, uh, uh, known position that they may encounter just to make sure that themselves and their guns perform where they need. And oftentimes, Terry, uh, I will say, and we've talked about this over the years too, uh, judging distance. You know, a lot of folks come out here with a target that is a turkey head. You can buy it pretty much anywhere, paste that on the back or 
And people don't realize how far 50 yards really is when it comes to just even visibility, uh, judging the distance, and getting a uh, load and a choke and a gun to perform at those distances. So there's a lot of things a person can learn just by looking at a known distance and, of course, pattern in the gun there. So, so many variables, so much to learn. Um, can't encourage people enough to get out here and get themselves ready. Now, I don't want you to answer this today, but we're going to bring this up in the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> I want you to maybe compile a little bit. If I was a new turkey hunter and I came to you and said, I'm going to buy a turkey gun, I wanted you to give me two or three recommendations one being maybe just a, tur and that doesn't have to be brand, but type and choke and ammunition. One, if I'm just hunting turkey, one, if I want a more general shotgun, and, and one, if I don't even know what I'm going to do, and maybe I'll shoot some clays and stuff too. And let's make that kind of a point of emphasis in a, in a couple weeks from now. Yeah, and a good topic, Terry. Uh, again, lots of information there, lots of decisions to be made, and uh, we certainly have that information, so we'll plan on talking about that, no doubt. Now, the last thing I have for you, I'm hearing a nasty rumor they can't get you off the ice. You're out ice fishing all the time. Yeah, Terry, I'm hooked. You knew it was coming. Um, yeah, we uh, went out. You showed me the ropes with your electronics. Austin hooked me up with an absolute amazing ice unit. And, Terry, I am hooked. I am loving it. And uh, my percentages have gone up. Um, I'm doing things I never thought possible. So, yeah, I'm absolutely loving the ice fishing. Take about a minute and explain to people how electronics has changed. And these aren't the fancy forward-looking electronics. These are down-viewing electronics. Tell people how much that's changed your approach to ice fishing. Well, Terry, so I, I used to be the guy that went out, um, punched a hole, stood there hoping there may or may not be something there. So number one, the biggest thing is I know there are fish to be caught there. If I know that, um, that keeps me going, and I know it's something I need to do. Number two, the one that I, the unit I chose is actually similar to one that you had, and it's more of a sonar return than the flasher style, and I'm used to reading that on my boat. It's a sonar return in real time, and I can tell what's going on down there, uh, and I prefer that over the other styles. Um, so being able to see in real time what is going on down below very important uh the next thing terry and i told you about this uh actually went out with a buddy uh, we drilled four or five holes in a small area um dropped my electronics in fish weren't super active or common but when they did come the first couple times i saw a fish show up uh the fish left he came back decided to make a move well i tried to lift the fish left and didn't come back so the next time I decided when he came that I was going to drop the bait. When I dropped the bait, I got a stick return. I knew he was there, caught the fish, and ended up, after several hours of fishing, all the fish came out of the hole with the electronics because we could see them, we could make them react, and we figured out what to do. So, yeah, absolutely one of the funnest games I have been involved with for a long time. All right, my friend, we are out of time. If people want to know more about shotgunning, how do they find you? Give us a call, 303-659-7117. Go to our website, coloradoclays.com. Take the virtual tour. Uh, check our calendars. Uh, but by all means, though, Terry, uh, give us a holler. Come out and see us, and we'll get you going. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you, Terry. 
You bet. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And we've been talking a lot about um, opportunities. I know we talked to the officer recognition. By the way, go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook and read that news release on the CPW Rangers and officers that have been honored for both their valor and for um, <clears throat> and just doing a great job and being recognized. And remember, they're first responders, too, and they put their lives on the line. They don't just manage our game and our hunting laws. So take a look. Take a look at that article. I think you'll like it. Talk some turkey hunting with J.R., um, and that's going to be around the corner, so you should be getting ready. But as far as fishing right now, we're going to get windows of opportunity. And those windows are going to pop up within a few days and a week. Conditions are going to change pretty drastically at times. Now, we should have good fishable ice for quite a while, but some of it will deteriorate where there's springs or inflows. So you really have to be on top of that. Some places like Blue Mesa have 30-some inches of ice. You might need, in some places, in 12 and others, you might need an extension to get through the ice. Others on the front range are maybe 10 or 11 inches of ice, but make sure it's good clear ice, and it'll start to soften by the shores and limit your access. We're also going to have open water and river opportunities that are just going to be hot for a few days as the weather fluctuates. So kind of pay attention. You can find some really great fishing, but it's going to be windows. You can also see spring weather turn fishing off for a few days. So don't get discouraged if you go out and it doesn't happen. Go back when the conditions are right. You might be really surprised. Now, is Mr. Dan Jacobs in the studio? I am here, sir. I have the pressing question. Is uh, VJ or Rex Ryan or another defensive coordinator? What's your choice? Boy, Rex Ryan would be fun, wouldn't he? He would. Uh, he obviously comes from a coaching tree of aggressive, you know, way back to his dad coaching Chicago's defense to aggressive defensive play, which is always fun to watch, sometimes exciting for the other team too, but fun to watch. Yeah, um, I just, I think he'd be fun to have around. Like he's me running his mouth and making all sorts of comments and, you know, bringing snacks to the practice field. I think it'd be fun, man. And, you know, VJ, are we are we seriously talking about Vance Joseph? I mean, would the fans accept Vance Joseph? I mean, he was so bad as a head coach. Now I know, and I, I you know what? What have his defenses really done? He had one not top ten, but knocking on the top ten defense out of the five years that he's been a defensive coordinator. So he's never had a top ten defense. So he's not been great. No, I, I can't. I'm, I, and I think that it would be a terrible PR move for the confidence of the new coaching staff. Well, they could whip him in line. I mean, it, you know, it always comes down to talent as well, right? Like Rex Ryan took over the yeah. Ravens' defense, and you know, Vance Joseph has had to work with you know the, the Cardinals' defense. So maybe there's something there on that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I just don't know. I. Uh, well, we'll see how it shakes out. It all comes up to the head guy. He's the guy that takes the blame and gets the credit. So we'll find out how it all shakes out over the next few weeks. So why don't I close this out and let you talk? You gonna sing a little Eagles as we go out there? You gonna sing some of this song? 
I what? Am I going to sing it? No. Sing. I, Wix, I, no, you're Wickstrom and Dobrith. You 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 fancy yourself a, a vocalist? Sing us a little Eagles, Terry. No, the Eagles uh, would be sacrilege for me to try to perform that song. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right my friend. We'll wrap up, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Thanks to Dante. Thanks to Karen. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacobson Sports and 104.3 The Fan. I saw a shimmering light. My head grew heavy and my sight.